Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome back, or welcome along, I probably should say, to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, joined by Vito Doria. Vito, hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, Connor. Um, yeah, it just seems to be another week, to be honest. Um, nothing out of the ordinary on my end. Uh, how are you going back in Bray? Yeah, I'm not bad. The weather over the last week has been better here than it has been in Parma, so I mean... Uh, I'm quite happy to be at home at the moment. Unfortunately, joining us to make up the party is Kev Pugzelski. Kev, good evening, mate. How are you? I was all right until I heard, unfortunately. <laughs> um, don't know what I've done to deserve that. <laughs> no, I, I suppose I'm, I'm taking out my frustrations that should be directed at the majority of Serie A, really, and, and aiming them at you. We kind of push back this week's recording to Monday evening instead of the usual Sunday night shift because we thought that there might be an interesting game on Monday. Fiorentina against Genoa. Boy, were we wrong, but we will talk about that a little bit later. It was a weekend where there weren't too many goals. Kev counted quickly before recording and he said 21, although I I don't quite trust his quick maths and I've not counted myself, so I can't really hold him too accountable. But I guess we should start where we tend to at the top and AC Milan keep winning Vito. Frank Kessie and Samuel Castiglieho scored against Sampdoria before Alban Ekdal pulled one back for the Blue Cecchiati, but it wasn't enough to stop Milan marching on. They're still unbeaten and they're five points clear at the top of the table. Yeah, indeed. Ekdal even had a chance with the last touch of the match to score an equaliser, but uh, to be brutally honest, I think AC Milan deserved the three points, whereas Samp, uh, although they did create some chances to probably snatch at least a point, I think for the overall play, I don't think uh, 
some really deserved anything to be honest and uh, the Rossoneri probably should have scored a few more themselves uh, they wanted to control the play they showed more initiative than Samp and uh, I think it was uh, also that uh, maybe if uh, Ante Rebic was probably a bit more clinical uh, the score could have been more comprehensive than what the scoreline suggests Kev, I mean, we spoke about them when they were missing Zlatan Ibrahimovic. They still, of course, are. But we thought that that might knock them back a little bit. It very much hasn't. And if anything, it's just further proven their credentials as, as contenders, given that they've won, they've won ugly without their best player. Yeah, I, I think it's... Um, we shouldn't call it necessarily winning ugly. Like, you know, you've got, to, you've got to grind out those results sometime during the season, even when you've got your your star players and maybe they're underperforming. I think um, what we said last week or whatever, a couple of weeks before is that it just shows how cohesive they are as a unit. And, you know, watching this weekend's fixtures, weekends before it, they really look like they're going to go and take the title if they can keep up the form of the last 12 months, probably. Well, 10 months, is it? Yeah, well, no, 12. I mean, it started in January, didn't it? And it's, we're into the 12th month now. But, I mean, they, they got this win not only without Ibra, Kev, but Kier and Benacer were out too. Yeah, I think you can cope a little bit more with the, you know, with the, the centre of defence with Romagnoli there. Um, Benacer is, is, is fine at his ball distribution. Again, I, I think they're not... It, they, they they're parts in a in obviously a, in a well-oiled machine at the moment, but I wouldn't put them down as sort of critical to how the the system functions. And again, I suppose that does go back to Pioli getting the team uh, sort of that you can move parts around. You know, you can uh, you can allow for people missing because they know what they're doing in their roles. You know, if you come off the bench and you're sl- slotting into a position, as opposed to you're trying to fit the talents of that individual into the starting eleven makes it so much easier to manage. Yeah, it, it does. And purely we've we've spoken about him, he's done a fine job. We've spoken about Milan quite a lot as well. And to be frank, we're not gonna spend too much longer talking about them this week. But someone I do want to talk about before he doesn't really fit in with the weekend's football per se, but Mario Balotelli. Guys, he's He's rocked up at Monza. He's he's dropped down to Serie B, Vito. He's going to be accompanying Kevin Prince Boateng in in Serie B. That's quite a lethal front line Monza have there. On paper, it certainly is. And uh, to have that old AC Milan connection is quite intriguing. They already have uh, Adriano Galliani and Silvio Berlusconi off the pitch, so... Uh, on the pitch, they're really having a bit more of that old AC Milan flavour to it. Unfortunately for them, they're mid-table in Serie B, so uh, really hope for both Balotelli's sake and also Monza's sake that Balotelli can sort of hit the ground running and make a difference because if they're serious about making a push for Serie A, they're in desperate need for goals. Yeah, they, they really are. I mean, they lost 3 now. To, to Reggiana at the weekend. But Kev, have we found Zlatan Ibrahimovic's next move? We were speculating about it a couple of weeks ago. He wouldn't need to leave 
his home in Milan, and he could just play up the road with with Monza, with Prince and Mario. If he was um, not the physical specimen he was, and still rolling out the performances that he was, then I don't know. There's something something that makes me think that it it could have happened, and maybe mm. maybe Balotelli is a a lesser Ibrahimovic because you know he's a clearly a talented player and he hasn't got anywhere near what he probably should have got out of his talents. But um, yeah, if 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 Ibrahimovic's career had taken a slightly different path, I could probably have seen it happening. Mm, just while we're dipping into Serie B, I do want to mention that Atalanta legend German Dennis scored on Saturday against Brescia, no doubt endearing himself even further to the Bergamaschi, not that he needed to. Um, R- Regina beat Brescia 2-1 then. But the, the Serie B table is looking quite interesting at the moment. Spal, basically, since I've visited them, have been fantastic. But maybe we'll dip into Serie B in a couple of weeks, maybe over the Christmas period when there's a lot of Serie A to talk about, Kev. Yeah, I think so. We've sort of skirted over Milan and, you know, there's not a lot to, to talk about when they're, they're just performing this level of consistency and churning result out and result out. But when you touch on the Balotelli issue, that's probably typical of what mistakes they were making when they were making a sort of a signing, almost trying to get someone to sort of bring something out of the team. And I know they kind of did that with Ibrahimovic, but the uh, you know what Pioli's got the actual team doing is what they've been looking for, and my hesitancy to go into the the absences of Gare and Benacer is because I feel like I'm repeating myself every time. But that is exactly what is the positives for Milan this year is that that level of consistency we don't have, we haven't yet had a bad performance. We haven't had a defender fall on their ass and someone run through and and win the win the game against them in the 80th minute and. It it might sound boring us repeating ourselves, but it's it's what's proven successful for them. Right, I know I'm gonna have to like rein it in a little bit here, but bear with me, okay? I'm not saying they're the same, but the way we've we've grown to perceive Milan already this season is the same way that we had spoken about Juve for so long over the last decade. You know, every week there's nothing really new. But the results just keep coming. And that's probably the biggest compliment you can give them. But we are going to talk about that team there. Juventus, they won the Derby della Mola 2-1 against Torino. Torino took the lead veto, so of course they lost. But it's hard not to feel sympathy for them after this one. Well, I do um, feel a bit uh, disappointed or that... uh... Uh, the Torinesi should feel a sense of regret that they did not get any more out of this game because uh, they had a few more chances to actually add to their lead. They did soak up the pressure and hit on the break whenever they could, but uh, I felt that uh, if they were a bit more clinical, um, Juventus could have been there for the taking. Uh, Juventus looked rather predictable in possession, rather devoid of ideas. Uh, the front players weren't at their best. Didn't matter if it was Dybala, Ronaldo, or Kulusevski. They were definitely under par. And uh, Andrea Bolotti, although he didn't score, I thought his performance was fabulous because he absolutely worked his socks off. Just He couldn't stop running. He got into positions to score. And um, 
Yeah, he probably could have scored a spectacular volley just before half time. And uh, talking about chances, as I had mentioned before, even Simone Zaza probably should have made it 2 0 after Nkulu had got the opener. So, um, yeah, definitely. I think, uh, although this is nowhere near the best Torino team, but uh, they probably at least had the chances to get a point, even though maybe the overall play wasn't overly fantastic. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I just, I think Torino had a couple of individuals. You mentioned Belotti there, who who stood above everybody else on the pitch, not just for the Granata, but, um, I mean, Wilfried Sango as well was phenomenal. Nkulu Lianco, they were all really, really impressive, Kev. And we've we've berated Jean Paolo's team this season for being dreadful. They weren't on Saturday. And... This must come as such a blow. You could see it when the players literally just fell to the ground on the final whistle as well. I'm afraid I haven't got the same amount of sympathy as as certainly Vito, but as you sound like you've got it. I found myself watching the game with an air of the inevitable that the goal was coming. It wasn't just that they, they were sort of defending deep, but for large portions of the game, they you know, if you're playing on that side... And particularly if you're Belotti, you know, he gets so much credit because of the amount of running he has to do on his own up, up top. You know, you can, you can have counter-attack, you know, as a, as a tactic, you know, it's a you know, legitimate tactic to use. But when the ball went into midfield, whilst they were, they were good at pressing uh, Juventus and, uh, you know, making tackles, it's ball retention really that you want. And they never really retained the ball enough or used it well enough in the midfield areas. Go, Vito. Well, if we. Another thing to look at, too, is that uh, from a Juventus perspective, anyway, um, Juan Cuadrado was perhaps the standout player because even when things weren't going Juventus's way, he kept on persisting with his running, he was willing to take on opponents. And uh, it was rewarded by providing the crosses for both Bianconeri goals. So I think um, his contribution to the game made a big difference against uh, Granata. In the first half, though, they were, they were woeful, Juve. But you, if you looked at the, the average position of most of those players, they barely got into the, the final third of the pitch. And they, they, they had one shot on target, I think, in the first half. It's exactly what they've been doing all season, just passing the ball amongst themselves at the back, which was allow you know allowing um, Torino to get up the pitch and have those chances that they had. You know, the one time they went forward, actually, Torino broke on them. Zaza went through, and then you know you just knew not because he's ex Juventus, but that Zaza was going to fluff that chance when it would have put them two up and probably been the ideal uh, opportunity to to then sort of sit back. And they probably, given Juve's recent form, would have been able to hold out. Should Carino not be getting credit for making Juve play that badly? Um, if it had deviated really, you know, a lot from how they performed in the last few weeks, then I would say yes. But it just it just looks like what I've been watching over the last few weeks for Juve. Just too passive, passing the ball around too much in the, the first two thirds of the pitch. And, and not really going at teams. You know, Dybala obviously is struggling for a bit of form. He's had illness, he's had injury. But 
he barely he barely offered himself as a an attacking option if you like he's dropping deep far too often to get the ball you know i know he's he's creative that's part of his skill set is creating from deep but it there was a clear lack of juventus attacking options players whatever you want to call them in that final third to stretch the pitch out a little bit when you've got a side that you know is going to defend deep anyway. Do do we think this win almost papers over cracks again? Because, I mean, Juve are still unbeaten in Serie A. They've, they've got that record where, what is it, Pirlo is now the first ever rookie coach, I'll, I'll use the term, to, to go 10 games unbeaten in his first ever Serie A season. And those goals late on from McKenney and Bonucci will just almost make them think that things are better than they perhaps are, Vito? I think that's pretty much uh, symptomatic of uh, Juve of the last decade, to be honest. They've been a dominant side, but um, the play hasn't really been convincing and uh, they would only play either good football or perform convincingly in patches. Perhaps with uh, Antonio Conte, when he was there in the mid-2010s, they had a clear identity and they could uh, convince, even if they weren't stylish, but you could tell they were dominant. Um, Whereas with this current side, yeah, I do think that obtaining results is great for Pirlo, but uh, we've got to consider that uh, probably in some parts they still need proper reinforcements. And the midfield doesn't really convince me, especially under the system Pirlo is trying to use. Um, I don't see how they can really dominate games in the long term or really be able to break down stronger teams if they progress uh, deep into the Champions League. What surprised me most about the end of the game is that Juve won it. You know, in previous years, then yeah, you see, you kind of see all the signs, a couple of late goals, you go, yeah, classic Juve. Actually, this looked like they would get a goal, but it would, you know, all it would do is just sort of rescue a point for them. They didn't really ever look like, even despite scoring relatively early through Quadrado, um, which was then chalked off, I think that was 10 minutes mm. into the second half. I kind of joked on, on, uh, on, on social media that they scored far too early there because this has got sort of a Bonucci equaliser in the 80th minute or something written all over it and what you were saying about earlier Connor was I said there are just watching the game several probably pro Juve or whatever social media accounts lining up their Pirlo undefeated in first 10 Serie A games because mm. it, it looked like it was a little bit inevitable but also that they just needed to find any positive because you couldn't dress up the first half with one shot on goal and he any better than what it was, but you know, you just have to ride on that wave of Pirlo's undefeated in Syria. Can Torino bounce back from this? <sighs> Not playing like that. Um, right, I think I think you're being harsh on them, you know, because if if they were doing this in every game, fair enough. But in other games, they've tried to be a bit more e- expansive against Juve. They've they've won one of the last twenty nine now against them. They, they are very much the smaller team with, like, I don't know, they're suffering from that reputation as well. And had Zaza not blazed that chance, had Linetti been able to pass the ball 10 yards when he was on the break, three on one, they, they should have won this game. 
um, yeah, full veto comes in. I'll, I'll accept that. Probably I am being a little harsh. I'm probably remembering that I wrote a piece a couple of years ago when they looked like they were in a good position to finally win. Um, if I think it's the first time since 1995. And maybe that's why I feel so, you know, I am so critical because I expect, I expected so much more from them because of the, <laughs> because of the, I suppose, I'll tell you what, if it would have been very different, maybe if there were fans there and a little bit more, you know, atmosphere and everything to get the players, you know, fired up, take a few more chances. But I don't know, it feels like an opportunity missed. Torino, as far as I'm concerned, need a far more refined or technical midfield. I think the midfielders are predominantly the more destructive types, and that's a reflection of the type of football they were playing under Walter Mazzari. If they still persist with this 3-5-2 formation, uh, perhaps with uh, Sasha Lukic coming back from uh, COVID-19, uh, if Simone Verde, Verdi returns soon, um, that might uh, add something more in terms of creativity. And although Daniele Baselli is not the most consistent player, I think if he is fit, he could still do something in Giampaolo's system. Uh, on his day, he's the kind of guy that can make those late runs from midfield and uh, score some superb goals. So... Um, Despite the terrible results the Granata have had so far this season, I think it'd be a shame if uh, Cairo was to dispose of uh, Giampaolo so soon because I think other coaches would have trouble with a midfield that's really just devoid of creativity and ideas. They play Udinese and Roma next up before facing Bologna and then Napoli before Christmas. Not the easiest run of fixtures. You would imagine they will need to get three points against Udinese if if Giampaolo is to be eating his panettone this Christmas, but I wouldn't put money on it, unfortunately. Elsewhere, Vito, Inter, they won 3-1. They beat, I can't remember who, they beat Bologna 3-1, and it was no surprise that Romelu Lukaku opened the scoring. No, not at all. Um, he's a great physical presence, as we've said so many times. But also Bologna, they experimented with a 3-4-1-2 formation. I suppose Mihalovic was trying to cancel out Conte's tactics, but clearly didn't work. And the back three that Mihalovic was trying with uh, Tommy Yasu in the middle, and you know they have other inexperienced players like uh, Aaron Hickey as well. Um, someone with more experience and uh, a stronger physique like Romelu Lukaku. Um, he certainly made the most of it. Um, I thought also, in terms of the general play, Inter were definitely a lot better on the ball. Um, probably with the standard 3-5-2 that they're using now, they're finding a bit more rhythm again. And then also having Atraf Hakimi as an unlikely goal source with his brace, um, it's always good to, to have uh, different outlets, especially when you are a team like Inter and have had... Someone like Lukaku as that reference point up front. Inter got three points that you'd very much expect them to there, but probably the biggest talking point of the day was that Conte decided to bring on Christian Eriksen in the 92nd minute. I I mean, Kev, I'm I'm furious about this, and I have no particular feelings towards Christian Eriksen, but this this pissed me right off, you know. 
it it looked like it it pissed Christian Eriksen off. I only I only got to see the highlights of the game, but um probably Saturday evening when I switched on uh social media, I, I saw all the stills of Eriksen standing on the sideline and uh and just sort of staring off into the middle distance. And and a part of me thinks that he knows that, you know, he knows the cameras are on him, you know, because obviously we live in this this world now where a footballer is probably being filmed 80% of the time they're out in the public. So he knows exactly what he knows exactly what he's doing there, you know. But but then it's not it's not as if if Inter are holding him there against his will. You know, they they've come out, they've said if he's unhappy, they're not going to, you know, let or ask someone to stay. Um but it doesn't really do much for potential suitors. Well, apart from the ones that want to save some money and and, and try and get him on a a knockdown fee. No, that's exactly it, right? And I mean, yeah, they've they've said they'll let him go, but he doesn't deserve this. Like that is Conte just humiliating him. There's there's nothing else that could be construed as. It's not a tactical decision. He, he might want to waste a bit of time, but they're not one goal up there too. They've got that cushion. He knows full well what he's doing there. He's trying to get under Christian Eriksen's skin. Can you blame Eriksen for looking a bit miffed by it all? I mean, he's been he's been signed, barely given a kick. And then he's been lumbered on in the 92nd minute of a game that he doesn't need to in Jan- in December. I mean, I'm on his side here. I know, but it, I I think we're probably being a bit harsh on Conte because managers do do Can this. Well, no, but you know, I've seen a manager play a 17 year old at left back because he wants to make a point that he needs funds for a you know for a left back or a right wing or whatever. You know, managers managers do it. Um, the the one thing is you're not entirely sure what message Conte's trying to get across here other than I am the boss. Um But that's the only message he's trying to yeah, get across. I, I don't think it would you know, if you if you were considering a move to Inter, uh maybe you were a uh a, a classic, I suppose, number ten if we, we put Ericsson in that category, would you be wanting to go and play under him? Um but maybe Conte just wants the experiment to have, have gone. I mean, uh, yeah, there, there were other players on the bench that he could have brought on if he was trying to make a tactical thing. And I, I don't know, I just, I don't like the look of what he's doing to, to Christian Eriksen. Um, I, I don't think that management approach is something that I personally would respond well whatsoever to. I mean, I've been on the end of it a few times and the, I very clearly haven't responded well. So... It, it grinds me a bit to, to see it. And I don't want to play like amateur psychologist at all, but did you see Christian Eriksen? I mean, f- physically. And compare him to the pictures when he arrived at Inter. He doesn't look great. No, but I think, um, I think how you, you hold yourself and sometimes can come through. You know, it's, uh, there, oh, there's a phrase that I'm not going to remember now. But it's if you feel happy, you look happy. Uh, so you know something along those lines. Uh, I'm yeah, you know, I'm just thinking. I've seen reports that Arsenal would potentially be interested in. But would you prefer the scenario that Arsenal have, where Mesut Ozil's, yes. and and that's what you prefer for Ericsson, that he'd sit there, you know, probably watching whatever he's watching, probably not even watching his own team no, on I mean, TV. Look, the Ozil thing's completely different as well. There there are ridiculous things behind that on Arsenal. Yes part as they're not really comparable but I mean I'd rather go and play for a 
a team struggling like Arsenal than to just be made a fool of by an angry man who demands transfers and then doesn't use the players he's given. But anyway, we're go just going to go around in circles. Vito, Napoli wore that kit again. They went away to Crotone, they won 4-0. Again, that's eight goals scored, zero goals conceded in two matches with that kit. They're going to wear it for the rest of the season. It's bringing them good luck and they're certainly prolific as well. So why not? What else could it bring them? Could it could it bring them silverware? Oh, I'm sure if they do, um, the kit will be a far more permanent fixture for the club. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely should be. It's a, it's a beauty. But I'm not sure about you. I, I think you probably know where I'm going with this. But the best thing about this game for me was seeing big Andrea Patania get on the score sheet. And is it a coincidence that it came while he was wearing a kit that could pass for a spal kit? God, you're clutching at straws. <laughs> How am I? I've presented a solid body of evidence there, Kev. Do you, are you going to dispute any of it? No, let, you can have your moment. <laughs> let, let you have I your mean, moment. There's, there's nothing you can dispute. Napoli were wearing light blue and white stripes. What colour do Spal wear? Well, uh, yes, okay, light blue and, and, uh, and white stripes. And I have one more question. And, and where did he have his most prolific goal-scoring season? At Spal. And actually, okay, there you go. Now you can go. This is probably closer to Spal's kit than it is Argentina's, if you want to get back on that one. Oh, will you stop? Get over the socks, Kev. And the blue. <laughs> and the blue. <laughs> but it's na it's Napoli. It, it... Yes, well, they should have Argentina blue. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're never going to bring you around to this, are we? <laughs> I tell, well, while we're on kits and there's not, not a lot of talk about this week, we had we had Samp's kit. I'm sure, you know, Vito, I know he, he loves it. Oh, yeah. But it made me actually wonder whether Italy are the most kit-obsessed, like, ma major <laughs> championships. I don't, I don't know if I know, if, you know, if the Bundesliga, if La Liga, any other league maybe even in Europe that have so many one-off kits throughout a season or, you know, speciality uh, shirts, it's... It's like it's a fetish. I think Samp bring the average up themselves, to be fair. But it is Samp like Samp do one every year. It's like, I know, obviously, Italy, it, 
Italy famed for its fashion, but it has it's the, the Syria appears to have a fetish for wear as many shirts as you can in a season. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah if you're a if you're a, 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 a fashion Vito, designer, jump in there. <laughs> well, I'm just waiting for my commemorative uh, Andrea Doria style jersey to come in the mail. So. Um, hopefully DHL come good with the packaging and yeah, um, yeah, it's a nice early. Have Christmas you ordered one? Hmm? Yeah, I've ordered one. You've ordered, but I had to do oh. it over the Macron website um, because some Doria Point didn't have one in my size. Otherwise, I would have got one with the number ten uh, number on the back and uh, have my name on the back as well. But Macron didn't have the that option oh so. that was my next question yeah. was what did you get on the back that's disappointing yeah I'm, dis- I'm disappointed macron didn't have that option some doria point uh, uh had it only thing is they don't do extra large jerseys for that one mm. uh, Vito, do you do you Ta- mind um no. and you won't need to do a quick calculation but what does something like that set you back in euros <laughs> these days you know a, 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 you know a non-standard shirt well, the price came up at euro at eighty-seven euros. That's not bad. Given the price of of shirts nowadays, I bought when Parma and Sampdoria did the Gemellaggio thing, and they they released the special edition kits. I bought the the one that I need to get this right. The one that Parma wore that was in the style of the Sampdoria shirt, but with the Parma and Sampdoria colours. <laughs> Uh, the one that Parma wore, and it was a hundred quid. I yeah. And I don't. I don't think I've bought a an actual current shirt since twenty thirteen. So, what what was the last one you bought? Oh, it would have been a it would have been a Liverpool jersey, probably. Fair enough. Um, I mean, is this the the pod with the most tangents? I mean, I mean, we oh. don't <laughs> usually have few, but this is probably up there. But listeners, I make no apologies for it, to be honest, because the that football wins. was a bit rubbish this weekend. Um, what else was there? Lazio, they went away to Spezia, who aren't playing in Spezia still. This was supposed to be the game where they did, but they didn't. They will after Christmas, apparently. And, I mean, if you were looking to avoid more kit talk... You're not going to avoid it here because Lazio kept they wore their green again and they won two one. Yeah, lovely fetching green. I think uh, they're contracted to wear it in every away game, regardless of any clashes. Um, you know, fine. But uh, I saw you moaning about this. I, I stick by it. Lazio have a very light coloured shirt. Ah, oh, see, I I saw you accusing me of moaning. I just posed a question to our friend Alistair. Mackenzie as to whether they were or had worn it for every every away game this year because it feels like it but um, you know and for, for whatever reason actually I thought this was um, praising some of the teams that have come up this looked to be a little bit uh, like Lazio were playing in sort of first gear and, and knew they could step up when they wanted to win it's probably the first the first game I can recall watching in four of Lazio where they look like they have been in control of you know of the game. You know they've not sort of been rushing. Obviously, we've had a, they've had a couple of late equalisers, late victories. Whereas it looked like maybe that showed signs of, you know, positive signs for the rest of this. You know, rest of the season now that they're kind of settled again after a, a bit of a shaky post-pandemic run at the end of last season and start to this. 
Yeah, do things look like they've settled down there now, Vito? I mean, Immobile's back from COVID, Milinkovic-Savic scored a screamer, and Luis Alberto's spat with the club appears to be put in the past. Well, yeah, let's hope that they can sort of keep some stability and maintain uh, the winning form because uh, they've got a good chance of getting through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. And uh, just uh, going back to Milinkovic-Savic, he... Ultimately made the difference, won the ball back in midfield, provided a fine pass uh, for Immobile to open the scoring. And then that free kick, that was superb. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure that his uh, compatriot and also a former Lazio player, Sinisa Mahalovic, would have been uh, impressed with that effort. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was a beaut, right? It really was. And it's it's nice to see Sergei on his form again, because, I mean, when he's in full flow, there aren't too many like him. When, when he's at it. I mean, we compared him to Paul Pogba on the podcast a few years ago, and I'd very much stand by that. One of them doing considerably more than the other at the moment. But, Kev, I know that this is something that will please you. Lazio have suffered three defeats in their 10 Serie A games this season. But, but what curiosity exists around that statistic regarding former Liverpool players? Uh... Was Pepe Reina not in goal for any of them? Exactly right. Oh. Thomas Strakosha was in goal for all three defeats, so Pepe Reina should be first choice. I, I thought he's done pretty well. I've maybe got rose-tinted glasses on when I, I, I watched Pepe Reina in goal because uh, I was so fond of him when he was well at, at Liverpool and at, at Napoli and he kind of was always in the, the right... Is it the right place at the wrong time? So, you know, when he was with Spain, obviously he was behind, behind Casillas, so he, he won the medals there but wasn't first choice. He won the Bundesliga but was second choice behind Neuer. Um, and he still he still worries you. I think if you are a Lazio fan, he still <laughs> does the odd thing that worries you. But, but it's not all, what you want from a goalkeeper, Kev. <laughs> no, um, but all in all, he seems like a, like an honest professional and uh, I don't think there's much between him and... Strakosha's recent form. I'd, I'd love to to have Pepe Reina at the club I support, but never as first choice goalkeeper. I'd love him as a second choice. He play five, ten games a season and just be there for the morale because he's great. I mean, his role with Spain was cheerleader, and he loved it. You know, I, I do think he's he's definitely quite a likable guy in there. We're struggling now, guys. We're, mm. We are struggling because the rest of the football wasn't very good. Although, with an exception to Verona Cagliari, which Vito was quite a decent game, particularly for a, a Sunday lunch match. And both teams will feel like they could have won it. And both teams will probably think they might be able to mount a little challenge for the European places this season. I'd probably favour uh, Hellas Verona more so than Cagliari. Cagliari on the day can be an uh, interesting team to watch and uh, despite his poor time at Sampdoria, I still think uh, Eusebio Di Francesco is still a capable Serie A coach. Uh, Hellas Verona though, under Ivan Juric, they've been a very well organised team. They're still a very solid team defensively, but uh, I think it's uh, offensively where they got to make uh, more of an impact. Uh, at least uh, Matias Akanyi is still maintaining his good form, uh, scoring a second goal uh, in as many rounds. And 
Yeah, I'm impressed with the way he plays. I think he he really adds some uh, extra flair, some spark to that forward line. So if uh, they can find some other scoring outlets, Verona, I think uh, they do have what it takes to be one of those dark horses to really fight or even succeed in getting a Europa League spot. I almost asked you, could Nikola Kalinic be that scoring for us? But um, I won't, because I don't want anyone to have to say bad things about somebody. On to Parma Benevento. Kev finished 0-0. Parma didn't have a single shot on target at home to Benevento, and Liverani said he was proud of his players afterwards. Can you work this out? Uh, no, and um, considering what I saw of the game, I'm surprised you went there before going to what should have been a, a better game, but we'll get to that, Roma to Suolo. Um, yeah, we'll get there. I think if you muster no shots um, and you are still proud of the players, you should <laughs> you should question either how you're setting them up or what, what <laughs> drills you're doing in training um, to take any positives from that. Um, I, I was going to say... Uh, as well against the newly promoted size, but actually that, that, that means very little with, with how close Palmer are to Benevento this season. I think in this instance, uh, Livarani is just relieved that his team did not lose. So I think that's the only thing he's, he can really clutch on to. They're, they're bad, guys. And the, the thing is, they haven't looked like getting better, really. At, at any point throughout the season sometimes certain elements look like they're on the up but then the next week they just disappear again I think this happens sometimes when you've got a side that, that comes up on an upward trajectory and then they, they, they blip you know they have a severe dip in form and I think what has saved some sides in previous season is the the very low quality of the uh, the sides that have come up that season that the that the team had their blip, and this year actually you've probably just not got that. You know, apart from I suppose Crotone really aren't picking up the points, although their performances aren't always that bad. Um, that could be the start of nails in the coffin for Palmer this season. Yeah, and I I mean the the most concerning thing is though that they don't seem to know what their identity is anymore. I think that's quite damning. Liverani came in and was playing with his, what was it? A 4-3-1-2 with Kutska as a 10. Then he went to a, a 3-5-2 with, with Grassi as a, a wing back. And then he went back now there with a 4-3-3. I just don't think he has any idea. I mean, if he was playing something consistently... You could think, fair enough, he, he knows what he's doing and it's just going to take time. But this chopping and changing, and I, I think it's rare that I would point to Twitter as being a good barometer of, of where a club's fan base sit. But if you if you go on to, to Kyle Krause's tweets and, and look at the responses to his latest tweet supporting Liverani, um, living in Parma, not being there now, but being in regular contact daily with people in Parma, the responses to that, that are very much unhappy with Liverani specifically are accurate reflections of, of the mood around the city. And it's it's not good because even when things weren't great under Diversa, I mean, everyone was together. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore, which would be concerning. 
Vito Roma played Sassuolo in a game that was sure to deliver goals. It finished nil-nil. Yeah, it did. Um, only thing was that uh, there were two goals disallowed. Harris uh, Lynn for Sassuolo scored an absolute belter, but uh, sadly that got chalked off offside. But the thing that perplexes me is this: uh, is the Roma goal that got disallowed. Look, it's fair enough that Edin Dzeko had tripped one of the Sassuolo defenders, and for that, it was deservedly disallowed. But my criticism is Lorenzo Pellegrini. Um, he got the ball. He probably should have just taken a first-time shot or even controlled and then maybe chip it. But what's he trying to do? Trying to do the team thing and pass it back to Dzeko. There were defenders running back, and uh, as you can see, they were able to get to the ball to Dzeko before the Bosnian veteran did, and that prompted the trip. So, um, very poor decision-making by Pellegrini, and it shows that he's still lacking confidence because in other times, he would know how to make those late runs and put the ball in the back of the net. But you're not allowed to criticise him, Vito, because he posts emojis to his Instagram story telling people to shush. Yeah, he can tell me to shut up. I don't care. You think he, you think once the international borders open, Lorenzo Pellegrini is gonna fly from Rome to Melbourne? I don't think so. Don't challenge him. He's probably friends with Big Alexander Kolarov. <laughs> uh, what can uh, we do? Kev, what did you make of this game? Because I actually thought it was it was okay. I, I think Rick Karsdorp and Leonardo Spinazzola were particularly impressive. Um, yeah, particularly in the second half when Roma were down to ten men, mm. um, I think I think Roma as a as a team, it's one of, yeah, it's a bit of a cliche, but when you when you forget that they're down a man because they don't look like mm. they're under the cosh, particularly against a side a side like Sassuolo, who you think would try and just swarm all over them, you know, with the sort of their movement and the amount you know the amount of attacking prowess that they 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 have at times, um, but yeah, I know. Uh, Vito was particularly scathing of Carl's Dorp uh, a few weeks ago, but he, you know, he impressed. He got through. You know, it's it seemed to be him laying his body on the line towards the end when they were clearly tiring against um, the the visitors having eleven men. And yeah, it was. It made it, it made for an interesting game, if not entertaining. Um, but at two o'clock here on Sunday afternoon, when you were faced with that Palmer Benevento or Udinese Atalanta, which didn't go ahead. I'm kind of glad I chose Roma to swallow. That was great fun. I loved watching the first three pitch inspections at Udinese Atalanta. That was great. Did you see Federica La Pena? He was he was like a little child, or <laughs> what I said on Twitter. He was like a dog, just going out in the fun because he didn't he'd never seen a puddle before. After your first tweet, I kind of accepted that it wasn't going to go ahead. And when I sort of checked back in about an hour and a half later and realised it had been postponed, I thought, well, that was always going to happen. They yeah, just it, was, it. it was great. It, it really was great. Seeing La Pena's little smiley face walking around, throwing the ball through puddles, pointing at it, looking very happy, looking back at his dog walkers, Rafa Toloy and Rodrigo De Paul. They were just like, come on, can we just get this over with so we can all go home, please? <laughs> but yeah, um, some strange... A strange story coming out of Atalanta is what happened and the knock-on effect of during that Champions League game against Michelin last week, Vito. Papu Gomez was told to play on the right by Gasparini. He kind of just responded with a no and didn't return after 
the halftime break. But what's probably most curious about this is that him and Josip Ilicic were left out of the squad to go to Udinese at the weekend. And, I mean, Gomez posted on, on social media a picture with his family and part of the caption was no papu, no party. But given that his family had said that uh, dad's home on the Sunday, that could be taken as that. But then Papu posted a, a photo collection of himself with Ilicic and then Ilicic posted a collection of photos of himself with Papu and little love heart emojis. Is, is something going wrong between Gasparini and his two best attackers? I really hope not. I hope that it's really just the case that he's saving them for the Champions League and trying to make sure that they secure a place in the round of 16. But uh, I'm not going to say it's all doom and gloom just yet. That being said, though, Gomez and Ilicic are the two most creative players of that Atalanta team. Uh, When they're on form, they're the two guys that make this Atalanta side tick. You take them out... Okay, you might get away with it for a game or two, and you might do it just to rest them, especially when you consider that Atalanta do have a hectic schedule like some of the other clubs competing in Europe. But uh, if Gasparini is doing it just for the sake of saying that he's the boss, that he's in control, I think that can really backfire on Gasp in the long term. It should be said as well that Papu tends to to play jokes and be funny on social media. So the the early reports were that after the, the little dispute against Michelin, that everything had been put behind them. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was Papu just on the wind-up. But who knows? The last game then was Fiorentina-Genoa. And I mean, the, it, it finished 1-1, but nothing happened for 90 minutes. And then two goals came. Marco Piazza scored. Genoa's first and only goal to open the scoring late, late on. Nikola Milenkovic scuffed one in. Uh, I mean, he thumped it in, but it was a scrappy goal. And Kev, the celebrations from Fiorentina show just how bad they really are to be that happy to get a 1-1 draw at home to Genoa. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. I was thinking that the defending was so bad, Genoa deserved to be relegated. But yeah, when you're relieved to... to, to get a, a late and a very, very late equaliser against a side of Genoa's quality this season, you know, if not form this season. Don't use that word. Um, is I think as a fan, it would infuriate me more than if they, you know, because you just really want them to just accept that they've been terrible for all game, <laughs> lots of parts of this season, mm. jog back get in a change room and try and forget that they even sort of scrape to a point because it is a bit desperate to be running off as if you've just scored a winner in the last minute of a final or a semi-final or any sort of game, really. But that's where We're they quite are. harsh on Parma, right? I mean, we're quite harsh on them. They're ahead of Fiorentina in the table. Yeah, what's that put Fiorentina on? Nine points? Palmer on? Nine points. Ten. Vito. <laughs> well, the three games in into the tenure of uh, Cesare Prandelli, and this is the first point. So it makes you wonder, was it really worthwhile sacking Beppe Iacchini at this stage? I mean, 
we're doing it with the benefit of hindsight, but Prandelli has not improved the situation one iota. Uh, Fiorentina sadly looked terrible, and uh, I really don't know how Prandelli is going to improve the situation. And a few days ago, Joe Barone, the general director of the Viola, said that they're not really thinking too much about the transfer market as yet, but even if they do bring in reinforcements, uh, what are they really going to do? Because, uh, uh, well, to be honest, I think it looks like the atmosphere at the club's not that great. So all the early hype has dissipated. And the choices in coaches so far under Comiso have been very poor. So even if next season Luciano Spalletti or Maurizio Sarri do come in, it looks like they're going to have heaps of work on their hands. Yeah, they absolutely will. They absolutely will. Just... As things stand, right, Fiorentina are on nine points. The the bottom three, Torino and Genoa both have six and Crotone have two, which means that as things stand, seven points are enough to be outside of the relegation zone, which if you multiply that out across the course of the season, um, it means that 26.6 points might be enough to stay up this year. That would be dreadful, but I wouldn't be surprised because there's a lot of dross down that end of the Serie A table. We're finished talking about the football. Let's... Let's play the game, shall we? Kev, are you happy? Uh, yes, always. To play the game? Questionable. Can Can you remember who's first? Uh, Vito definitely got it last week because it was your Maradona-inspired choice of Papu Gomez that won it. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. Um, what I'm going to do, uh, we're going to set two minutes this week because two and a half minutes is way too long for you guys. Uh, so two minutes is the time permitted. I don't know why I began that sentence. I was just repeating things that I had already said. Are you guys ready? Yes. Yeah, I I think you should do some sort of adjudication on Vito's tactical pauses when I get something wrong and then he sort of doesn't step in quick enough with his question. <laughs> not, that, not, not that I'm getting competitive in, in week 10 of the game. <laughs> All right, um, Vito, it's your turn to start, please. And I'll count you in. Three, two, one, go. Okay, is this player Italian? The player is Italian. I had to think about that one. <laughs> is this player from a club in southern Italy? The player is from a club in southern Italy, yes. Is this player a Napoli player? He does not play for Napoli. Do they play for Crotone? They do not play that far south. They're not a Crotone player. Okay, does this player play for Benevento? Yes, they're a Benevento player. Okay, is this player a forward? The player is not a forward, no. Are they a midfielder? They're not a midfielder. Okay, is this player... Okay, is it Christian Maggio? <laughs> it's Christian Maggio. Yes, it is. It is. That was quick. It that was quick. Um, yeah, congratulations. Vito's pulling away now. He's got a bit of a cushion, I think. Is that a two point lead? No, I think is. so, maybe. All right. Um, if you listen to that, guys, it was, it was less than a minute, so you can't complain too much. <laughs> um, and if you didn't, well. I mean, you're not listening to this, are you? So I don't need to say goodbye to you. But uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week, listeners, to talk about 
I hope some better football because it wasn't great this week. The highlights of next weekend include such thrills as <laughs> the fixtures are not very good next weekend. So uh, maybe we'll speak to you guys after round 12. Kev, say goodbye. Ciao, ciao, everybody. Vito, say goodbye. Goodbye. And it's ciao from me. I just Kevin, realized... you only just realised now that I wasn't recording on Skype. I've only, yeah, I've only just realised that, actually, yeah. Spa, 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 magica spa, magica tu. Spa, lo stadio mazza, è una cosa pazza, una festa universale. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 